And I praise God. I think he is going to do, we are one light on here. <laughs> praise God. We have so much to learn in regards to what faith is. And this morning we were given a lot of questions. We asked, what, this faith, what, what does faith have to do with holding fast? It has everything to do with it. Without truly having a faith that's based on truth and based on based on the, the facts of the word of God, then we will actually be greatly moved. And I'm going to ask you to bring the chair back up for me, please. And we had an illustration this morning, and I want to talk to, about the, the importance of what A.W. Tozer said, and this is what we discovered this morning, is that our understanding of faith is critical to a powerful Christian life. What and how we believe and what we believe on, where we're getting the source of belief and what we are facing and what we are believing really actually does determine what kind of life we're going to live, if we're going to live by faith or live by sight. And this is really truly a small verse, but there's a command in that because the faith that we are embracing tonight is the faith that God has given us through his son, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the good news that we have tonight. And so for all those that are here tonight, if you have not seen this morning, just go and check it out if you want to. I'm going to do a real quick recap, but not that much of it. So if you feel like you need to go back, please, you know, obey that nudge and go. For those that are online, welcome, and we are here tonight knowing that you are, that the Lord's going to do something special in our midst. Um, I do need his grace. I've been up since four, and I'm, I do understand that if he doesn't come, I might just, yeah, just <laughs> think, yep, uh, it's good to be here. God is good. Do, do you believe that? Uh, you see, I, th that is my stand today and pretty much every day when I'm faced with so many things that I have to go back to what I know to be true of God. He is good. He is faithful. He's consistent. He is great. He is forever unmovable. I can bank on him. When the scripture says he's not a shifting shadow, that means that I don't have to worry about him changing his mind on me. It is such a great source of comfort and assurance. And that's what we talked about this morning, those three words, the confidence, an assurance, an expectation. And we know that it's being certain of what we believe. We figured it out this morning that a lot of us have faith, and we call it true faith, but the reality is that our belief system doesn't turn our gaze back to God. There are many times that we go through our trials and situations, and our faith is really not based on the reality of what God says about his son, what his son did for us, what the Holy Spirit is there to do in our life now that we, have, we are saved, but also to how we see life. And so because we don't have the right faith, because we don't embrace the right belief, we go to different chairs. Our gaze, and this is what we discovered. See, A.W. Tozer said, if you don't get this one piece right about faith, nothing else will work. See, our what, really, is based on the object. Where are we going to get our, our truth? And it's discovered when we examine where our focus is in our times of trial. Many times, our trials don't bring us back to the main chair, which is God. 
Our trials don't bring us back to the understanding that God can and will do what he said he was going to do. This is what we talked about, having an expectation and bringing him in to these problems that we have. You see, we all suffer. The saved, the unsaved, the just, the unjust. We all suffer. We all go through trials. We all go through rhythms of life. But praise be to God, I don't have to go through any of them without God. But we live like we don't have God. We live in a way that people see us go to other chairs and the reflection is not the work of Christ in us. The reflection is not the power nor the victory or the, the sense that, whoa, the hand of God is upon this person. And you know it. You know it when you meet a person who has met God. He's met and has been with God and Jesus. The illustration of the chair is just about true faith. What is it based on? And so we talked about two aspects of faith, which is intellectual asset and tr trust. So the intellectual knowledge that we pick up is believing something to be true, a certainty, but it is actually, it has to go to the other side where it's a trust. A trust is actually relying on the facts that the something that we believe is really truly true. So we don't just believe that God is who he says he is. We trust and rely on it. That means that every time we're faced with something in our life, we will choose to choose the chair of God and go to him and put our gaze back to God in order for us to walk out our trials with victory. Many of us, our trials leave us undone. Have you ever seen it? I have brothers and sisters that I love. And now, I'm not saying they love God less or anything like that. We all have, you know, we all falter. We all have different trials. But if this is how our life is reflecting, then you have to actually consider, like we said this morning, that your faith maybe is based on some other source. And we talked about the source of self, where we put a lot of faith, a lot of confidence, and a lot of assurance and expectation on ourselves to get through this trial. And then we talked about programs and different people in our lives. We talked about family. We talked about many other things. The church, where we put so much expectation on the church, knowing that, you know, we, we don't expect God to do it, but when the people fail us, oh, let me tell you, do we ever become embittered? God, what, what does that reflect? You see, God didn't ask us to trust the church. He asked us to trust him. We're fickle. We, we all will we'll all disappoint. We'll all fail each other. None of us in this room will never go without failing. The question is, is that in our failings, do you see the reflection of Christ in me and in you? And this is where we're coming back to what you're going through. Is it bringing your gaze back to God or is it bringing your gaze back to the other things that you put your faith in? So the result of true faith is greater devotion greater ability to trust. And this is where you really can examine what you believe because if your belief has not brought you to a deeper devotion and a deeper understanding of who God is, which brings you to that place of trusting him to follow through in obedience, you gotta understand you're believing something else. And it's not based on this, this intellectual belief which is coupled with trust. So the Apostle Paul exhorts Christians in 2 Corinthians 5 to live by faith, not by sight. So what we see here is a contrast. So I did a contrast this morning between the chairs and the different things that we go to, the what we go to and where do we put our gaze when we are 
faced with troubles or just doing life, forget about troubles, just doing life, is your gaze upon God, do you recalibrate when you're seeing that you're putting more faith in yourself to get through life than you are in God? Do you do that continual recalibration? Because when you get good at that, let me tell you what comes out of you is actually enablement, empowerment to do the impossible. So here we see a contrast between truth and perception. Truth and perception. What we know and believe to be true and what we perceive to be true. Two different guys. What we know and believe to be true living by faith, and what we perceive to be truth, living by sight. Two different things. This is the basis of why so many Christians lack faith. They struggle in their faith. The main reason we struggle is that we usually follow our perceptions of what is true rather than what we know to be true. Do you see the difference? We follow our perception rather than we, what we know to be true. We've done it over and over again in our life. If you, again, that's why I'm calling you to examine your faith, to examine where you go and what you actually, what leads you on a regular basis. Many of us, we follow our perception, how we feel, what we've seen, what the assumptions that we put in our head more than what we know to be true about God. Thank you for that amen. Because I truly believe we should have all said amen to that one. Because that is the biggest problem I see in the church today. People who perceive things that are not based on truth. And it, it brings them down a road of bitterness, disappointment. It actually causes them to walk away from the very thing that could help them out of their troubles. I've seen it over and over and over again. These perceptions are not based on truth. Most of the time, they are based on past experience, past pain, past wounds, just things that we've gone through, and it, it just gave us a heartfelt view of a situation or a person or events. And because of it, what happens is it draws our gaze away from God continuously and into our own strength and our different things that we put our faith in. It will always give you the wrong chair. It will always lead you away from this true faith that can give you victory. That is why I challenge you to examine this belief, your belief, this morning. And I'm going to do the same thing tonight, but I'm doing it a different way tonight. Walk in faith. When we walk in faith, our perception of the truth should change. So if you've been in the Lord for years, but you still perceive and respond to that perception, which leads you down the same road over and over again, when given truth, does your gaze go back to the chair or do you go back to other things? Mainly self. Because these perceptions are based on past experience, pain, wounds that have not been given to God in one way, shape, or form. Or we don't trust God. We don't rely on God to heal us from the inside out. And so we have to go to something else because we don't trust God with our pain. And so we go to other chairs. And then we wonder why this prolongs and why we don't actually reflect a greater devotion, a greater knowledge, a greater maturity, uh, you know, a confidence and assurance that comes in. We don't see it. 
And so that is why we have to. And when we do start walking with God and we embrace the truth, these perceptions change. Isn't that great? They start changing when you embrace truth as what it is and what God says in his word. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that's his job. So if you're sitting on this chair, I can guarantee you, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he won't give you, oh, it's okay if you perceive this. Uh-uh. He's going to say, I am sorry, but this doesn't line up to the word of God. And you can go and justify, you can rationalize, but I can guarantee you, you'll see your eyes be moved away from God, moved away from that very path that will give you victory. There should be change, beloved. There should be change in our conduct. There should be change in the way that we act and respond and how we do life. There should be forward motion if you have true faith. Genuine faith based on the belief of what God has done and what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. There should be. You see, Christianity is a, base, is a faith-based religion. It is based on faith in God and in the Son, of Je- uh, the Son, Jesus Christ. God has provided us with the Word and the Holy Spirit a testimony of his faithfulness. But beloved, most of us, we go through life not even considering this faithfulness. God has given us the bare essentials and you know, what we say about our faith is the person of, and the work of Jesus Christ. And that when he claimed to be the Messiah, do we truly believe it? When we claim that he died on the cross and actually did what he, he was supposed to do because of the revealed law of God, that he took that punishment for us, do we believe it? That his life was one of perfect righteousness according to that revealed law. His death was the atoning sacrifice of sins for all of us, for all people. That he was raised to life three days after he, was, he died. When we place our faith and trust in Christ alone for our salvation, God takes our sin and places it back on the cross. And then awards us with his presence. By grace, we have this thing, this perfect righteousness before God. Because we are made right because of God, because of what Jesus did. So in a nutshell, that's what a Christian message is all about. Righteousness will, people who are righteous will live by faith. And so we understand as Christians, we are called to believe this message and to live in the light of this message. So you need to ask yourself, are you living in the light of this message? We have the blessing and the awesome privilege to have this chair in our life. It's an illustration, beloved, but I think it's a concrete illustration. And if we live out, when we live out our life, and if we reflect the truth of God, because of what has transpired on the cross, we were moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There has to be change. Something fundamentally changed in my life the day that I said yes to Jesus. The day that I believed that Jesus did what he said he would do. The day that I confessed him as Lord, that means that I put him as Lord in my life. That means he has every right to me on this chair. And I, le- I, I trust and rely on him because of what he has said, he said over me. When we, when we say yes to Jesus, something transpires in us. 
But despite this, many Christians are still struggling with believing just the biblical accounts of Easter. They don't get it. They, they go by, it's just information, but they don't get what has happened to them with the reality of these truths because their perception is on something else as opposed to the truth of God. As a result of this perception, our lives often do not reflect the fact that we are truly believers in what we claim to believe. We have almost very little authority in our life, very little influence, very little maturity. We have no fruit. The assurance that we have is kind of up and down on, depending on what we're going through. There's little evidence of God's hand on us. And, and that's what we have to start examining if what we have is true, genuine faith. James 2.14 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? James 2.17.18 uh, says this, In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. See, there's always a demonstration of action when it's genuine faith. Works will come out of this. Uh, 26 says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So faith without works is dead faith because the lack of works reveals what? An unchanged life. It's a, it reveals a spiritually dead heart. There are many verses that say that true saving faith will result in a transformed life. Why do you think I never settle when I fail and when I make mistakes and when I see my goofs and my behavior and my attitude? I never settle. I put my gaze back on God because he's already said it, that if you go towards God, towards Jesus, and you stand firm in the freedom that he's given you, you will experience that freedom. You will live that out. The reflection of the power of Christ will be manifested in you. And so here we see that if... If this genuine faith is there, we will have a transformed life. That faith will be demonstrated by works, that what we do. How we live reveals what we believe and whether the truth, the faith, whether the faith we profess to have is living faith or not. Living faith will always bring forth works. Now, I'm not talking about everything you do. This is where we get mixed up. So if there's no living faith, there's no way we can live by faith. All right? So we will always live by sight. And that's why many of us have no reflection of the power of Christ in us. Works are not the cause of salvation. Works are the evidence of salvation. Verse 22 says, and he's talking about Abraham, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. By what he did. He trusted. He relied on God's word. Not on what was going on. And we know what happened when he went to another chair. He listened to his wife. And he took another detour. But praise be to God, he found himself back on that chair. 
And he said, God, I'm, and that's why he was accounted for, because of his righteousness, because he had faith. He had faith. The works that follow salvation do not make us righteous before God. You need to understand this. They simply flow from the regenerated heart as natural as water flows from a spring. So a lot of times we see works as something, a ball and chain thing that we have to do and that we're obligated, but that's not what faith is all about. Faith, proper belief in Christ, always results in good works. The person who claims to be a Christian but lives in willful disobedience to Christ has a false or a dead faith. We need to come to this conclusion. I believe that if we're not honest with the type of faith that we have embraced and we keep on calling it genuine faith with no reflection, no growth, no, no new devotions, no new heart for God, no, no greater ability to love or to forgive, then, then we will continue to be someone that we're truly, we are misrepresenting misrepresenting. We're called to be ambassadors. Many profess to be Christians, but their lives and priority indicate otherwise. Their lives and priority indicate otherwise. Jesus puts it this way. These are hard scriptures, beloved, but I need you to hear it in light of what I'm talking about, perception and truth. Because there are times where we have to actually come to terms with what we have chosen the chairs that we put ourselves in, knowing that it probably wasn't going to be a satisfying chair, but we still went. Matthew 7, uh, 16 says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father, that's being on the chair, beloved, doing the will of the Father who is in heaven. The key here is the will of the Father. Matthew 7, 22 says this, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in the, your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you believers. You evildoers, actually, not believers, evildoers. And you know that parable that follows this is the parable of the, 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 the obedience, hearing and doing the word of God. This whole a chapter, you should read it. It's phenomenal. It tells you about the narrow gate. You know, it tells you all about the different things that we can see from people who actually think that they're living in faith, genuine faith, but have absolutely no reflection of that faith. And so here he says here, notice that the message here in Jesus is the same message in James about faith and works. Obedience to God is the mark of true saving faith. Simply saying we believe in Jesus does not do it. Because I can say I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't mean my life has changed. Nor does religious service. Now I can do a whole lot of works and do it because I feel like I, I need to earn God's favor. And I need to be a better girl so that he can love me. And we can all believe that, but it's not true. I can do all the works, but if I have genuine faith, I will not go to heaven. 
If my faith is not based on the right things, if I have not had a born-again experience, that exchange that has happened, you can say that you believe, but trust me when I tell you, if your heart has not changed and your life has not been transformed, and it's an ongoing process. Remember we said it was a journey. We're going to live out this journey, but are you going forward? I'm not talking about the seasons of trial or the rhythms that we go through because all of those things will actually, they, they, they will sharpen our faith and we will discover who we are in God. But here he says, what saves us is the Holy Spirit's regeneration of our hearts. And that regeneration will invariably be seen in the life of faith, featuring an ongoing obedience to God. Beloved, I know that we have a whole lot of hindrance that keeps us from that chair. Pride, rebellion, bitterness. Oh, that's just three things that comes to my mind. I can stay here all night. And we so stubbornly refuse to receive truth because we go through that perception stuff and we justify why we do what we do. All it's doing is it proves to everybody who's watching that you're in another form of faith. You are gone to another chair. There is no power, no reality of the life of Christ. And people are looking for reality, beloved. They're not looking for words anymore. They're looking for a people who say, I have genuine faith. I believe in the Christ that is in me and that he is my glory and my hope and the lifter of my head. They obey. When we talk about obedience and ongoing obedience is that they obey not because they want to earn God's favor, but because they feel delighted about already having received it. From this place of trusting this charity, because I know I've received it. And over a course of a lifetime of walking with God, I have discovered that a lot of my perception, if I go back and put my gaze on God, he reveals to me the foolishness of this perception because it is based on self. It is based on self-preservation, self-protection, self-reliance, self-independence. And when that happens, beloved, there is no way your gaze will be focused on God. It will be focused on other chairs. And in the end, there will be no reflection. And as we can see in James 2, an empty profession of faith, one that does not result in a life of obedience to Christ, a life of change, is in reality a dead faith. I think together as an assembly, as in a congregation of believers, as the body of Christ all over the world, is that we have to actually start, exam we have to examine if truly we're in genuine faith. Because according to the word, many things will follow through in my life if I'm sitting on this chair. I don't really have to actually say a whole lot. My life will say it. So why am I so certain about this chair? Why am I so certain about faith without works is dead? Because when we are born again, God gave us, us, forgiven sinners, a new heart, and he put a new spirit in us. God removed the sin-hardened heart of stone and filled me with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit then caused me, which he does every day, who I'm saved now, to walk in obedience 
to God's word. See, when I'm with you, and I know that you've gone off and there's the hindrances have got you gazing somewhere else, what do I usually bring you? The word. Because if you're not obedient to the word, then you certainly won't be obedient to what I need to tell you. So I have to bring you back to the centrality of Christ, the person and the work of Christ. You have to let go of your perceptions that lead you down a path of ungodly things. God, God is just asking us to come back to that place, to reflect on what we believe. See, throughout our life, our Christian life is the whole process of sanctification. And that's why it's a forward movement. Beloved, there are times we will be stagnant. There are times we'll walk backwards. But if that call is within you, if the Holy Spirit is within you, he will cry out, Abba, Father, get me out of this problem. You will come back eventually always looking back to God because nothing else satisfies. When you have genuine faith, you come to that conclusion a whole lot sooner. The Lord brings upon us the word and the Holy Spirit and he presses upon us to let our gaze fall again upon the one true God. But so many of us, beloved, we are gazing upon the wrong things and the reflection of our life is not maturity. Oh no, it's not a conduct that's, that's, that's laced with love, compassion, and forgiveness. Oh, no, 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 no. It's based on what we perceive to be all right. And when I see that, beloved, I grieve because I know when people look at your life, they won't see the reflection of my Christ. They won't see the love that flows from that well. And so I need to question when I see a person walking like this over and over and there's no ongoing wanting and willingness to obey God then I have to question, do you truly have genuine faith that comes from being saved? We have to ask the question. When we have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, our lives will demonstrate the new life. Our works will be characterized by obedience to God. See, an unseen faith will become seen by the production of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Joy, peace, love, kindness, self-control. Oh, we go to so many other chairs for the self-control. And we put all of our faith and our expectation, oh, I'm just going to do this, and this is going to come out. Oh, beloved. So it is important to know if we are found in faith. Those who pay lip service to faith, but who do not possess the Spirit, will hear Christ himself say to you, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven will enter. And he will say, I never knew you, depart from me. You evildoers. I can't soften that. But let me show you what Augustine says. He says that for Christ to say, I never knew you, is another way of saying, you never knew me. You never knew me. 
But praise be to God, we can go back to Scripture and understand one thing. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confessed the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness, must turn away from the disobedience and the constant perception that has nothing to do about God. We must turn away from it. If your faith has constantly brought you to the other chairs, beloved, you have to actually start examining what you've believed in. Because you need to understand that if you've done faith because you've been to church and you've done the church thing, and if you have no Holy Spirit in you, that means you'll have no power source to sit on this chair and no privilege to do it neither. That means you will always fall back to the other chairs and believe you're okay with the Lord when all along you always will always go back to your defaults. It will a continuous cycle. Have you seen it? I've seen it in many people, the people that I've loved. Now, get, don't get me wrong. We have our moments. But if these moments keep on coming back, and if your devotion from God and your maturity and, and all of these things are not progressing in your life after years of saying you're a person of faith, this is where you need to be challenged. I'm not here to judge, but I am here to tell you, your life, your blood will not be on my hands. Because, beloved, I've seen many who call faith, really, it's really perception. Many who say, this is who I am, I'm a born-again Christian, but when I see their lives, the reflection of what they do gives no evidence of it. So let me quickly finish off with this. You'll have to take notes if you want to because we understand that John re, uh, wrote the book of John, the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John teaches us how to have eternal life. But the book of 1 John actually teaches us if we have eternal life. He, gives, he questions if we have genuine faith, if we're true convert, if we have a true conversion, if we are a true convert of the faith. All right, are you ready? It's 10 marks. You can see them. They're all scripturally based. All right, are you ready? And I want to show you. 1 John 5, 13 says, these things, uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, so you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, there are many times we are immature and unable to gaze upon God because we have actually we mixed on this disbelief with true belief. And it happens, beloved. It happens because of our past, because of what we experienced. But if what you believe doesn't bring you to that place of completeness, you have to actually go back and say, what have I believed? Why is it that my gaze is very seldom on God? Why is it that I have not grown? Why is it that after 40 years in the Lord, I'm still at the same place? Beloved, it can't be. It's an impossibility. Now, let me show you 10 hallmarks. First, a true convert admits he's a sinner. You will see that I won't go through the verses, but the verses are there. 1 John 1, 8. I want you to write it down because I want you to go and check this out. See, we don't go, many of us, when we are faced with our sin, 
we actually make excuses. We defend our lines, and I have issues with that. And there are times, you know, there are times where I, I'm, I'm, I, I get defensive of what I do, but it doesn't take me long to yield. It doesn't take me long to understand that I don't want to be without the, the chair. My obedience to what God is calling me to do to deal with my sin is because I know the cross. I know what it is not to deal with my sin. And so that's why confession is such a great tool for me. I mean, it's a biblical principle that brings me a whole lot of blessing. I confess, I repent, and I move back to the chair, and my gaze is upon God again. But a true convert will admit he's a sinner. They won't go around making excuses for what they do. See, we all deserve wrath, don't we? But praise be to God, if we're on this chair, we have received grace. And grace means that I'm going to get forgiveness every time when I goof. I'm not talking about easy believism here. I'm not asking you, I'm not telling you that you can do whatever you want and still say you're saved. Uh Uh-uh. I'm talking about that when you are living a life of true faith, there will be conduct and acts that will follow through with that. You will see your new life come out. Number two, a true convert lives a life of obedience by keeping God's commandments more often than he breaks them. Oh, that really spoke to me. More often than he breaks them. First John 2, on the different verses, the references are there. Go and check. So this is not sinless perfection. See, God's not asking you to be perfect. But out of your obedience, there is a greater process of sanctification. You see, every time I obey, every time I take the step of obedience, I encounter God. And when I encounter God, there will always be change. There will always be change. Number three, a true convert does not harbor hate towards fellow believers, but displays continuous forgiveness, love, and compassion. Without the power source, without your gaze being upon God, there is no way that you'll be able to walk this. But the beauty is that we're called to walk this way. And God said, if I've called you, I'm faithful, I will do it through you. See, that's the importance of understanding. You have to know if you have true faith or not. Because if you are not saved here tonight and you try to do these things, the end will be misery. It will be misery. Skepticism, unbelief, doubt. It is best that you see if you are a true convert tonight. Number four, a true convert does not love the world or the things of the world. First John 2.15. Now, this doesn't mean that God's going to come and punish you because you love hunting and for those that fish, and for those that watch hockey. No, 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 no. We can enjoy these things, but what it really does mean is that you lose your taste for worldly things. You lose your taste for the world system, how the world sees you, how the world says to you how you should live. No, you live by another beat. You just lose your taste. Number five. A true convert proclaims Jesus Christ as the Son of God, 1 John 4, 15. And sometimes the proclamation is not really a soapbox at the corner of a street, but it's a life well lived. A life that proclaims through what they do, that Christ is truly well and alive. Not only that, but we just are not just kind with people, but we share truth with people in many different ways. That's what a true convert is. Now, you and I know we all have to get better at that, don't we? All right, number six, a true convert has the hope and longing for the return of the Lord. 1 John 3, 
2 and 3. So, you see, many of us, we keep our eyes on the dot, what we're going through. Keeps our, we keep our eyes on our failures. We don't keep our eye on the line, which is eternity. You see, we are only sojourners here. We're pilgrims here. This is just the intro to what, what, what we're going to experience. Actually, we're going to experience a whole lot more in heaven. But this is just us learning how to walk with God, how to learn how to rely on him and trust him here on earth. But many, many don't even long for his return. I can tell you why. Because we keep on persistently walking in a pattern of disobedience, not even understanding that if you were called home tonight, what would that look like for you? See, the fear of the Lord keeps me going towards that chair pretty much every day. Do I goof? Oh, I do. But in the end of the end, I'm always yielding because, you see, he's my only Lord. I'm not perfect, beloved. None of us are. But the point is, is understanding that when God calls you to do something, there should be a readiness to want to do it. Those that are not truly converted, they don't. They make excuses continuously. They have been revealed, enlightened, given the presence of God, the manifestation, interaction of of the Holy Spirit, but they still refuse to do what they know already. Are you getting what I'm saying? Seven, a true convert desires to serve and help other Christians. 1 John 3, 17 and 1 John 3, 14. You see, one, it's one of the biggest things that I know as a big red flag when you have issues with serving. Or when you give conditions to God, I'll serve when it actually suits my schedule. Last time I checked, I was bought with a price. And I, I have to tell you, I remember I told you I came very self-centered, very ego-centered because of my past. And so I understood that I didn't want to serve anybody, but the, the spirit in me was so grieved. You just sensed it. I felt it. And I didn't know how to do life with people. I, I was relationally dysfunctional. And oh, I was really prickly. And, but, you know, God started showing me how to live out this new life by service. And little did I know that people who were watching, they were saying, this is a true move of God because they knew who I was before. I never thought about anybody else but myself. But when God came in, that shift, that desire to want to serve and to give out and to help others became greater than me. You know, there are times I'm as selfish as everybody else. But the fact is it becomes a reality of life. You start seeing things totally different. So a true convert will serve and help other Christians. A true convert, number eight, loves being with other believers and hearing the word taught. Oh, this is the real nasty one. Ah. Youch. I think you're all busted. A true convert loves being with other believers and loves hearing the word of God. I never thought church was an option for me. But I didn't obey that call because I had to. I obeyed it because I wanted to move forward. We heard it with Tim Delina not too long ago. You can be a Christian and not go to church, but you won't be a growing one. But maybe, just maybe, you have a false faith. Just maybe, you have actually picked up religion. Just Maybe. 
Number nine, a true convert rejects false teaching. There is a discernment that comes up. I, let me tell you, I would go with my husband who had been, you know, 15 years older in the Lord when we met. He's 20 years older than I am. So he had a lot of journey that he had done that I didn't. I never experienced it. So I was a baby Christian. And it never ceased to amaze me when we would come up and say, okay, so what do you sense? And this is what he'd ask me. Okay, are you picking up on anything? I'm going, yeah, actually I am. You know, just like, he started teaching me the importance of discerning. And teaching me to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in me. It was through him that I recognized that I had that gift. That I could discern. But you see, the Spirit in you wants you to realize there's a whole lot of false teaching out there. But do you understand most of us don't even actually, we're not even moved. I, I don't even have to be a theologian when I hear a lot of these teachings. It grates on my spirit. I can't maybe put the, the doctrine to it, but it's just like there's something wrong with this. Then I go to my husband, can you tell me? <laughs> what scripture this can, help, can help me with this? A true convert, the last one, remains in truth and perseveres in their faith. 1 John 2, 24. It's, it's an ongoing faithfulness, beloved. An ongoing obedience. An ongoing process of sanctification that brings change in our life. I see so many jump and never don't they don't remain because they have put their faith in different chairs or because they don't have genuine faith they make it about so many other things when really truly we're supposed to be making it about the kingdom we were not saved for ourselves we were saved for a purpose you go to work where you go to work for a purpose did you really think it was about you did you really think it was just to go to work so you can pay your bills? Oh my goodness, no, we don't live for this world system. We live for another system. We live for another master who has called us to touch and move upon people with his presence. Why do you think he's calling out of our slumber? Why are you, why are you thinking he's asking us to examine your faith? Because the line has been drawn. He's separating us. Why? Because I truly believe he's coming back again. And many of us, we will not be ready because we embrace this idea of what true faith is when really, truly, you might not even have the Holy Spirit in you. You might not even have the new life in you. And so you're trying to do all of this and you can't. You always go back to your perceptions. You always go back to living by sight and not by faith. The Holy Spirit is there to bring you and to cause you to remain, to abide, to continue, to partner with you. That's why I am not even afraid when I fail. I'm in very good hands. Very good hands. So what is, what is it that keeps my spiritual life vibrant and alive, reflecting the truth of Christ priorities beloved it's not complicated if you're not a true convert you're going to buck what i'm about to tell you as a matter of fact you've probably been doing a lot of pushback as as i'm as you're hearing me speak well, no one's going to tell me i don't have true faith it doesn't really care what i think isn't i could discern i can discern your life the bible says i can do it but the honest the truth beloved do you really want to continue with no power and no victory. 
So there's something that has to be done, a decision that has to be made. So for me, it's about priorities. First, I guard my affections. I actually make room for the word and for prayer. I am very intentional, very focused with it. Why? Because that's what the word says. I want to be kept. I want my gaze to always go there. I don't want to go to the other chairs. It's human nature to go to the other chairs, beloved. I want to be kept. Second is I love my spouse. And I want to learn how to love him more, better, ongoing, changing. Our season of life, oh, we've gone through quite a bit. But my love for him has matured. It has changed. And I know it's because I keep myself on the chair. Not because he changes. Not because he does everything right. It's because the chair gives me all that I need. That is a priority for me. And then whatever he shows me and reveals to me, then I pray, oh God, give me a yielding heart. Let me obey what you're asking me to do. Let me stop excusing why I don't want to do this. What fuels me, beloved, is the cross. Jesus loved me so much that he died for me. Every day, I am faced with that reality. God, even in the foolishness of my life, you never stop loving me. I can't get over that thought. And how he is faithful to me when I don't understand him. When he says, Mona, I need you to rely on the chair. I know you don't know what's the next step, but I need you to do this now. Quickly, Mona, move, move quickly to this chair. You see, if I'm not a true convert, then I wouldn't even hear the move. And I want to finish with 2 Timothy 1.13. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Then he says, guard that good deposit that was entrusted. It was entrusted to you, beloved. See, so when I don't give and I'll put my priorities in place, what am I saying to that entrusted thing, the deposit that was given to me? Careless. I have other things that I want to do. No, I need to guard it. And it says here, and it ends up, he says, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. If you are saved, even when you are down for the count, even when you are confronted with a message like this, you will hear the call within you. It's okay, beloved. I am shaking you up because you live by, by sight more than faith. I am shaking you up because you've embraced religion and culture of the church, but you've never had true faith. You have no spirit in you to give you the power to move. So a choice has to be made. 
I'm going to ask my husband to come tonight. I'm going to ask him to pray for you tonight. Beloved, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, please hearken to his voice. He wants to do something phenomenal in your life. But if you can't even be honest at this junction of your life, I don't know what to say. Hi. Can we just all stand? I'm just going to pray. Hallelujah. Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we're asking you to move in each individual heart tonight. Lord, you say in your word that uh, we can't come to you unless the Father draws us. And so we're asking tonight, maybe there's some uh, that don't know you tonight, but we're asking you to draw them by your spirit tonight. Uh, Lord, you do the drawing. You open up the hearts. Just uh, like you opened up Lydia's heart. Father, mm. You did that. And so far, we're just asking to tear down any veil of uh, religion tonight and yes, just uh, expose yes, it for what it is. And we just ask you to uh, penetrate the very depths of each soul here tonight by the empowering of your Holy Spirit and with your word. And we just uh, thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and we just thank you for the work done on the cross. Yes. Lord, it's your desire that people get to know you and fellowship with you. And some mm -hmm. uh, often there's things that get in the way. Hallelujah. But we're asking, Lord, you, you draw each one of us tonight in a very special way by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for that. Now, just, just, with, your, just with your eyes closed tonight and just focusing on Jesus and what he's on the cross. How many come to realization that uh, you need Jesus in your heart and you want to receive him. You just feel God tugging you know, at your heart. Can you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. You feel God tugging at your heart, pulling at you. Yeah, God sees those hands. And uh, that's what, this, is what he, this is what he does. He, he pulls, he draws. You know, and uh, that's his work. You know, we, we can't, uh, none of us can draw anybody to the Lord. That's, that's the Spirit's work. And so, Father, we just ask you reveal yourself in a special way tonight. And uh, we ask you continue to do your drawing tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Doesn't matter how long you've been in church or whatever. And uh, I just remember, I can't remember, what was the name then? He had been preaching most of his life. Yes. And at the age of 83, after preaching for 60 some odd years, he realized that it was a, a false faith. And he come to make a relationship with the Lord at the age of 83. Mm -hmm. And he went on and preached the word for another 12 years. <laughs> so it's never too late. That's it. But yeah. he, he had preached all his life. I'll never forget that. It was at Pastor Carter's church. And so uh, 
That's what God does. He opens up hearts and he draws. And so maybe some of you just want prayer tonight and we'll just leave the altar open and we'll come up and we'll pray for you. God bless you all.